This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Siemens, ingenuity for life. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan joined the Washington Post Live to discuss his state's fight against the coronavirus and his plan for its recovery. Let's listen. Welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Bob Costa, a national political reporter at The Washington Post. This morning, we continue our Leadership During Crisis series as the coronavirus pandemic upends all aspects of American life. Our guest today is a state executive on the front lines, Larry Hogan, Maryland's Republican governor. He is chairman of the National Governors Association. Governor Hogan, welcome. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me. Good morning. So, Governor, what is the latest in Maryland in terms of cases and the death toll? Well, so we, uh, we're we still kind of climbing uh, that curve in Maryland. We were a couple of weeks behind some of the other states because of some of the early and aggressive action we took. We just surpassed 21,000 cases, and sadly, uh, we just went over 1,000 uh, deaths here in the state. Uh, but uh, we're, we're, we're certainly in a much better uh, position than we would have been if we had not taken aggressive action. So you're in a much better position, but are you ready to set a date about reopening your state? So we laid out a very detailed plan just last week, and uh, we've had a coronavirus response team made up of some of the smartest uh, scientists and epidemiologists and public health officials in our state from places like Johns Hopkins and some of the leaders of this uh, pandemic response really nationally advising us. We developed a plan that took into consideration uh, the president's own coronavirus plan, the NGA plan that we put out the week before uh, for the for recommendations for all the governors, along with some uh, Hopkins reopening plan and the American Enterprise Institute plan put together by uh, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who uh, was the former FDA commissioner. And our plan um, is, as soon as we see a flattening or a plateauing of these key numbers like hospitalizations and ICU beds, are the things that we're really focused on, um, the number of cases is going to rise as we do more testing. Um, and so, uh, and, and sadly, the deaths lag a couple of weeks behind what's actually happening now. And so the numbers that we're most uh, closely following on a daily basis are hospitalizations and ICU beds, and we're not seeing as much of a spike. We've got a couple of days up a, a little bit, but it's a, it seems to be leveling out, which is a good sign. It seems to be leveling out. So you're still in a wait and see period about those metrics? We're looking at those metrics, and uh, we wanted to make sure that we, the four kind of key building blocks that we wanted to have in place, we want to make sure we had robust testing, uh, which we have ramped up dramatically. We want to make sure we can do uh, contact tracing. We have a, a, a enough of a supply of PPE, uh, which has been a difficult thing for most of the states to deal with, and we're constantly bringing in more and more supplies to support our hospitals. And uh, and then uh, you know the last thing we're dealing with is hospital surge, and we've added 6,000 beds to our hospital capacity, and uh, been acquiring ventilators to make sure that. Um, we can be prepared. So those things in place, we have a phased plan um, uh, to start implementing just as soon as we can, because we're anxious to get our economy back on track and put people back to work. But we want to make sure we do so in a safe, effective and uh, gradual way. Let's talk about the supplies you just mentioned. Last week, it was big news. Maryland bought 500,000 tests from South Korea. 
but you saw the Washington Post this morning. They have not been used yet. What's the holdup? Well, I announced uh, when we acquired the test uh, a little over a week ago, uh, it was a it was a huge accomplishment. It took us uh, more than a month after the uh, president said the states were kind of on their own and had to go out and get their own testing. Uh, we searched all over the country to find tests, and we finally, uh, through some international diplomacy, we were able to get this uh, half a million tests in from Korea. At the time when that plane landed, that half a million tests was more than uh, the, the, all of the testing added together for four out of the top five states in America. It was quite a step. But when I announced it 10 days ago, I said it was still only a part of the puzzle uh, because we still needed uh, swabs and reagents. There are about nine different steps in this process. That was a big chunk of it. The rest of it we're continuing to work on and improve on. But uh, the story really wasn't, you know, I hate to take a shot at the Washington Post, but it really wasn't that accurate of a story because we are utilizing the tests. We have thousands of them that are being deployed. Uh, but we have to ramp up our lab capacity, which we've been working with the federal government on, trying to get some assistance on. There had been a, a shortage of lab of swabs all across the country, which the president uh, just instituted the Defense Production Act on. All of these things are part of being able to deploy those half a million tests. But we have a poultry outbreak on the Eastern Shore. We have thousands of those tests over there now at Purdue Stadium in Salisbury. We're putting them out in our, we put out a report yesterday that we're going to do mandatory testing of every single patient in every single nursing home, first state in, Amer in America to do that. And we're doing that with those Korean tests that we're just talking about. To the point about the Washington Post story, I've heard from Governor Pritzker of Illinois, for example, a similar point that you just made, that it's not just enough to have the test, you have to have the supplies that go along with the test. Right. When are you going to feel comfortable that Maryland has those supplies to use the test you got from South Korea? Well, so we're using as many of them as we can, and as the additional supplies come in, we're utilizing more of them. But when we when we acquired the test, we said that was uh, helping us on a long-term strategy. So we always intended this to be over several uh, months that we would utilize those half a million tests, not in the first week that we acquired them. So, uh, but we're, it, it all depends on uh, the, the ability to get the swabs, the reagents, all of the steps in the process, and the lab capacity. So, you, you know, we've got private labs involved that have to get be ramped up. Uh, we've got the University of Maryland where we invested in robotics to, so that they can produce 20,000 tests per week. Uh, which is a, a, a major improvement. We've uh, been getting reagents. We were able to ramp up, I think, you know, 40,000 more tests as of about a week or so ago. And swabs continues to be a problem, but it seems like that is something that the federal government is helping with, and hopefully we're going to get more supplies in. But right now we're using all we can possibly use, and we're hoping to be able to keep up with demand as we need them. You say the federal government, you want it to be a partner with Maryland, but based on my own reporting, you had some concerns about whether the feds would seize these tests when you brought them over from South Korea. Is that true? Were you concerned that the federal government would, would try to take those tests out of your hands? was a little bit of a concern uh, about trying to get these things in. It was a very complicated process. You know, we, we spent about 22 days and nights uh, dealing with this whole uh, transaction with Korea. We dealt with uh, the Korean embassy and folks at the State Department in Korea, uh, eight different state agencies uh, and our scientists on both sides trying to, you know, figure out these tests. And then at the last moment, I think 24 hours before, we got signed off from the FDA and Border and Customs uh, to try to make sure that we landed this plane safely. We uh, made sure it landed at BWI Airport uh, instead of Dulles. So it's the first time a Korean Air passenger plane has ever landed at Baltimore Washington International Airport. 
Uh, we landed it there with a large contingent of Maryland National Guard and Maryland State Police uh, because this was an enormously valuable uh, payload. It was like it was like Fort Knox to us because it's going to save the lives of thousands of our citizens. And there had been uh, reports of, uh, for example, in Massachusetts, uh, Governor Charlie Baker told the story of uh, his plane load that came in uh, with uh, with masks was basically confiscated by the federal government, and he had to then get Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, to fly a second mission with a private plane to try to bring some of that equipment in. There were a couple of other states that had similar stories, so. Uh, we were just making sure that uh, that was so important to us that we wanted to make sure that that plane took off from Korea safely, landed here in America safely, and that we guarded that cargo from whoever might interfere with the, uh, uh, the us getting that to our folks that needed it. The National Guard protecting tests. Is the National Guard in Maryland still protecting those tests? They are. The National Guard and the state police are both guarding these tests at an undisclosed location. Uh, these things are being distributed. They're helping us distribute the tests. They're also helping in all kinds of other humanitarian needs. We have about 1,300 members of the Maryland National Guard who've been activated, another 800 that are kind of on standby, ready for activation within an eight-hour period. Uh, but they've been just tremendous. They're helping us distribute uh, supplies and PPE, helping us with the distribution of those tests. They're helping provide meals for hungry kids. I mean, they've just done an incredible job, and uh, we're utilizing them. These are citizen soldiers that are really stepping up to help uh, their, their fellow citizens in need. Are we seeing in Maryland a racial disparity in access to, to testing generally? Not access to testing. In fact, uh, we're actually most of our tests are deployed in our high uh, population areas, which also happen to be more racially diverse. So we're doing more testing uh, in the areas with higher concentrations of minorities. Uh, but we're also there is a disparity in. I mean, there's no question that um, that minorities are more impacted and have a, a higher percentage of people that are uh, that are uh, both getting the virus uh, and dying from the virus and. So it has to do with, uh, you know, our, our population centers in, uh, in, in the inner beltway in the Washington suburbs and in Baltimore City, where we have highly dense populations and people that are, you know, riding public transportation or working and living in close environments. And there's definitely, there, we, we um, published all the racial data, which does show uh, that, uh, that, that uh, minorities are more impacted by the virus. But we've spent more time uh, more resources and done more testing and put more of a focus on those areas than anywhere else. People in minority communities, people across Maryland, they're also struggling not only with access to testing, but access to unemployment benefits. And you've apologized, acknowledged problems in, in that effort, the Beacon Portal. So what are you doing right now, today, to speed up access to debit cards and checks? Well, so this has just been an enormous, first of all, my heart goes out to all the people that are struggling and suffering. There's so many, so much unemployment, I think, nationally as of today, uh, you know, 30 million people uh, filing for unemployment. Some of these benefits are brand new, and I want to thank the federal government and Congress and everybody for moving so quickly to add these additional benefits. Uh, folks that are not W-2 employees, but gig workers and 1099, none of the websites could handle uh, these types of, these new types of benefits, number one, and the volume was so unprecedented. We had in a five-day period um, uh, something like 200 
50,000 people try to file, which was more than the entire year of 2019. We created a brand new website for this brand new program to try to handle that. And uh, it, we were one of the first in the country to do so. In many places, they aren't even able to provide the benefits. Or you can't get through on a phone. A couple of states, their entire system crashed and it's been down for days. Ours has continued to run and we've been able to help a couple of hundred thousand people. But it's frustrating to me that some people were waiting way too long and the system was not able to help uh, handle the speed. So. Um, I, I uh, you know, I said, look, uh, this, it's unacceptable. As the governor of the state, I, you know, I, I have higher standards of that, and I've been uh, demanding from the contractors that are developed the site, from our all of our state workers. We brought in hundreds of people to try to fix it, working around the clock, 24 hours a day. As of this morning, it's working and functioning much better. Um, you have about a three-minute wait uh, rather than waiting for hours. But we expect that volume when people start filing. They have to file every week. So Sunday and Monday, the massive volumes are going to come in again. We're hoping it's going to work much better. But it's a difficult, every state in America is having difficulties processing the massive volume. And we're trying to get uh, people every penny of the money that they deserve and that they desperately need as quickly as we can. Speaking of speed, another tragedy in, in your state and other states, nursing homes. And you've now mandated testing for residents, staff at nursing homes. The question is, though, how soon can that be done? So the nursing homes, as you know, if you remember, Bob, when we first started hearing about this in America, it was that focus in Washington, the state of Washington, with that nursing home. And I remember vividly seeing those, those images. It's been uh, probably the biggest problem that every state has had, nursing homes, because we have it's our most vulnerable population, um, and they're in such a vulnerable position. So when, when, when the, the very first day of our crisis, the day we got our first case in Maryland, I called in all of the long-term care uh, facility operators, the nursing homes, the assisted living, all of these folks, and we, we uh, brought them in. We took really aggressive action on day one to lay out protocols. We, didn't, we shut down access so there were no visitors allowed. This was 50, 52 days ago. Um, we, we said that staff had to be checked, temperature checks as they came and went, no travel for your staff, uh, uh, all kinds of protocols we put in place together with the industry. In spite of all those things, um, asymptomatic staff uh, who didn't have a temperature, didn't show any signs of anything, and there were no visitors coming, asymptomatic staff would, would come to work with the virus unknowingly, and it just went through these nursing homes like wildfire. We now have over 4,000 cases in our nursing homes. Uh, we, ha we have about 130-some uh, nursing home centers with outbreaks or clusters. And uh, sadly, 46% of all of our deaths are nursing home patients. So we've taken further steps to now not wait until somebody's showing signs of, uh, of, of, of symptoms. Uh, and, and But we're testing every single staff member and every single uh, patient in all those. There's 24,000 of them in our state. So it takes a while to get it done. We're prioritized. It just started yesterday, this new program, we're, with our new tests from Korea. Uh, but we're prioritizing the ones where we have the outbreaks and where we have threats of potential clusters, where we've got a, a case where we already have somebody that tested positive, and we're going to work our way down that list until we get to every single uh, one of those folks. 
What about prisons? Sh should testing be mandated there as well? We are. We're, we've uh, taken all kinds of steps to reduce our prison population. We've set up triage centers. We've set up uh, isolation sections in the hospitals, and we're doing testing of hospital staff. That's one of our top priorities, and in, that's included in our kind of clusters and hotspots where we're focusing some of these tests first. So uh, it's things like prisons. Um, it's uh, things like nursing homes, also on um, healthcare workers. Um, they're going to get prioritized for tests. And then this issue, like I talked about today, we have a big poultry industry on our Maryland's eastern shore, and we have a major outbreak there, an interruption of the food chain. So we're we're setting up this new uh, thing there for the for the workers in the poultry industry at Purdue at, at the Purdue plant and at Purdue Stadium in Salisbury. Let's pause on that food issue. We got a, an email from one of our readers of the Post, Myla Williams from Maryland. She said, "Quote." I heard there's no risk to Maryland's food supply chain, but grocery stores are still out of stock of many items. I switched to having my groceries delivered, uh, but a lot of times my delivery is not arriving because things are out of stock. What's being done? Yeah, I think uh, that's there. There is no interruption uh, in the food chain, and that's not, sort of unrelated to what I. We do have a concern with this poultry industry issue. That same you've heard about it nationally with uh, pork producers and beef producers, and now poultry producers to make sure there's no interruption in that food chain, which is a big national issue. Here locally, we're concerned about the workers and the spreading this into the community and about our, our poultry farmers and what it does to our economy. On the, this issue that your, um, your reader is, uh, is, is asking about, uh, the stocks not being uh, filled, uh, that's a problem that uh, we're continuing to try to uh, work with all of these uh, supply chain folks to make sure they keep being filled. Some of it is uh, problems with uh, distribution, but some of it is simply people rushing out and, and hoarding because of concern about things running out. So they're buying too much and clearing out those shelves. And uh, but it's, it's an issue that we continue to work with all of the, the uh, stores and the suppliers to try to improve upon uh, to make sure that those those shelves remain stocked. But there, is, there isn't a concern. So people should uh, just buy what they need and, and not be uh, you know wiping out the shelves and, and taking everything. We just have a couple more minutes here, uh, Governor Hogan. So maybe for some brief answers, one, we got a, a note from Steve Larson from Maryland. Will the beaches be open in Ocean City this summer? I know that the uh, Ocean City uh, mayor and the city council have been meeting and talking about this. Um, it's really it's really too early to tell. I think there probably will be some hope for some kind of a season in Ocean City, but whether it'll be normal, uh, that's a big question about uh, how they're going to go about opening, opening, opening beaches in a safe way. Would you mandate face coverings, masks, during a reopening of Maryland? It's certainly, it depends on, uh, that's one of the things that our plan envisions. We're working with industry sectors, uh, depending on what the uh, work is and how closely they're affiliated. Certain, certainly in some places you are going to have to wear masks until we find uh, a, a vaccine or a cure. Homelessness is an issue. Rent and mortgage payments are an issue. 50 Democratic lawmakers on Wednesday praised you. They also called on you to cancel rent and mortgage payments for residents and businesses hurt by the pandemic. Will you do that? Haven't seen the letter yet from the legislator, legislators. I just I saw that uh, clip uh, this morning. 
uh, in the news, but we have uh, worked very closely to make sure that people are suffering during this time. And we put a pause on evictions. It was one of the first things I did on evictions and foreclosures uh, so that nobody, uh, can, nobody can have their utilities cut off, nobody can be evicted, nobody can be foreclosed on. Uh, and we're going to try to work with the lenders and with landlords to try to work through this uh, as we come out of this crisis, because certainly everybody's been hurt economically. You just had a special congressional election on Tuesday in your state. What was that experience like? And do you, would you like to see all mail-in voting this fall? I just uh, had a good call yesterday with uh, Congressman to be uh, Kwaisi Mfume, who was elected to uh, fill the seat of uh, Elijah Cummings. The election went very well. I was really surprised. It was all done by mail, with a few exceptions of people that didn't have fixed addresses or people that needed to go out in person. And it went. It, it, it came off surprisingly well, without a glitch. Um, and I, you know, we're going to encourage people in the June primary that, that's coming up for the rest of the state to vote by mail. Uh, there will be the opportunity for those who can't have one uh, polling place in each county for folks that, for example, like they're blind or don't have a fixed address that need to get out. But most people, we want them to vote by mail. It's, uh, we want to have every vote counted, but we want people to be uh, expressing their uh, vote and making their decisions in a safe way. Final question here. The last time I visited with you in Annapolis, it was a, as a, for a political story. You decided not to run for president. You were thinking through the idea at the time. This week, it was just announced that Congressman Justin Amash of Michigan is considering a third-party run. Would you be willing to support him? Are you leaning toward Vice President Biden or uh, President Trump? You know, in the middle of the pandemic, um, you know, I haven't quite frankly, Bob, spent a lot of time thinking about politics. I think uh, I know there's an election going on, but um, my focus is on trying to keep the people in my safe state and running the NGA, which is a nonpartisan uh, organization that uh, requires me to stay out of politics for a while. So uh, I'll pass on that question and uh, we'll, we'll figure that out in November. I'll, I'll, I'll ask you about that at some point, though, in the coming months. <laughs> I'm no sure about it. I'm sure you will. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Governor Hogan, for joining us here at Washington Post Live. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. And thank all of you for watching. Tune in tomorrow at Washington Post Live at 11 a.m. Eastern to catch Post columnist David Ignatius. He's going to be in conversation with Ford Motor Company CEO Jim Hackett. For more information on that and other programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com and register. But for now, I'm Bob Costa. Stay well and stay safe. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.